0: I am very excited today because every once in a while I get an overflow of requests for a certain person to be on the podcast. And I always love to make sure that my audience is listening and I I like to make them happy. So I'm very excited today because I get to welcome Manny Condi. He is a lighting programmer and director at Retina Killer out of Los Angeles. I believe he is in Calabasas today on a show. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me, man. I'm really excited to be on here and I'm I'm glad to hear that people recommended me. I'm I last thing I could ever expect to be honest with you, but um I'm stoked. So <laughs> yeah, thank you.
0: <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do with the, your online presence. A lot of the stuff that you put online is just so well put together. You're like, man, that guy's doing some great things.
1: Thank you. I mean I you know, I've it's not just me like I can't take credit for a lot of the things that I do fully because I've just been very fortunate to be part of a lot of excellent teams and especially over the last year transitioning from kind of coming off of the road and trying to establish myself as a, as more of a programmer um, and director here in Los Angeles. I've, I've been helped by so many people and I've met even more great people here in LA that have made me parts of their teams or people that I've kind of met along the way or people that I've worked with in the past, but either way, um, Honestly, I, I I'm happy to be a part of good teams that that we can help put great things together with.
0: That's great to hear. A lot of people that I talk to that mention just how cutthroat LA is, how saturated it is, how busy it is. But every once in a while, you'll just hear these these wonderful stories of people being able and willing to help each other out and say, "Hey, man, I got I got more business than I can deal with, and I need to hand some off, and I need I need help." So it sounds like you're in a good place to provide that service.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's one of those things where unless you're here for a long period of time, people don't know you exist here. And I mean that with the best <laughs> intentions possible. I mean, I, I, you know, you can understand how how it is being on the road. It's like your life is on the road and, you know, you come home, you take your breaks and then you go right back out on the road. But once you're here, you're here and then people start to realize, oh, this guy's here in L.A. Um, you know, let me let me call him or her or whomever to... To come in and and do this thing, and then it's it's all relationships at that point. I think I think relationships are huge, and it's a big it's a big thing that I've learned throughout my time in the industry, and sort of you know still every day learning how to build relationships with people and kind of um, move forward and and stuff like that.
0: Cool, that's uh, that's great advice. Did you move to LA, or were you born and raised in in the Southern California?
1: So I was uh, born in New Jersey. Uh, raised between New Jersey and New York City. Uh, I grew up basically in a very small town uh, called West New York, which is literally what it is. It's west of New York City on the Hudson River. So just on the other side of the of the uh, tunnel was the little town that I grew up in. And it was just like a Cuban immigrant community. My parents came over here in the late 60s, early 70s. So I'm a first-generation uh, immigrant and Uh, When I got older, moved to New York City, lived in the boroughs and kind of moved around a lot. And then when I started to tour is, I got the, basically I got the advice from some people that said, you need to be in LA. And I came here and slept on a couch for a month until I found a place. And then uh, it's weird because I haven't stopped working ever since.
0: Wow, that's a major shift. You went from New York to LA on a whim.
1: Yeah, and I was doing... In New York City, where when I started, um, I got a chance from somebody, um, and I was working in nightclubs and venues, and like this person that gave me a shot in New York at a club called Pasha, I learned everything there. Uh, his name is Jared, so if he's listening, he's now uh, the operations director at KM Productions over in New York City. He gave me a shot. They taught me so much at that club. I did everything with them, and then... KM Productions used to supplement production for the club, uh, and they would do all these huge raves. And uh, Kevin, the owner, was another person that gave me a shot, and I started loading trucks for KM. And then eventually, I started teching video and teching lights, and it kind of just learning more and more and more. And I had I, I was lucky and and I was fortunate that I was surrounded with people, by people like that because, you know, somebody like Kevin would let me sit on a console for hours if there was nothing going on and I could learn MA and they sent me to go to ACT and learn MA and they would always help with education. So I owe a lot of where my beginnings are to to those guys over in New York, because without them, I would definitely not be doing what I'm doing today.
0: That is so important. Being able to train the people who are pushing cases one day and running the console the next it's, it's probably the most important thing we do. So when did you finally get the traveling bug then? <laughs>
1: so we were doing a lot of work between uh, New York and Los Angeles with a company based over in Orange County called Matrix. Um, and they started giving me a, a, a bit of work as well. And they were like, hey, if you're ever thinking about moving to California. And I was like, I kind of brushed it off. I didn't think think too much of it. But uh, they gave me a shot to go out on tour with Miguel back in 2014. And that started as just... Me being the projectionist, that's all I was supposed to do on that tour. I was just supposed to set up a projector every day, map it, and be done with it. By chance, the lighting director that was supposed to go out on that tour bailed like three days before we were out the door. So, the programmer, (laughs) yeah, the programmer, everybody was kind of scrambling and they were like, What do we do? And I'm like, Hey, look, like, I'm not a pro, but you know, I know enough. And if you teach me, I'm like, It's a time coded show if you kind of guide me through this I can figure it out and I jumped on the console and then I programmed the rest of the show with the programmer that they had on site and we took it out the door and I was with I was out with that for two years and um, it's where I got a lot of like my beginning touring chops because I had never done that before I had never done any of this before I just kind of got like thrown in the fire and they're like you have to figure this out and I'm with all of these people that have been doing it forever. So I kind of have to keep at their pace. Um, so I'm just doing whatever I can to just learn as I go and, and try to learn it the right way. I mean, you know, there is no, realistically there's no right way, but uh, I try to learn things the, the I guess the, the proper way as, as you know, the organized and right way to program instead of just kind of like being all over the place with it.
0: Wow. That is one hell of an origin story. That's like that's <laughs> literally baptism by fire there. You just like you, you saw an opportunity and you seized it.
1: I, I, I think that I'm, I'm very thankful for, for, for opportunities because that's where I've gotten so many opportunities. And it kind of just, it kind of just trickled down from there because I was with him for two years. The album cycle ended and then I'm like, all right, well, what am I going to do now? I guess I'll go back to teching LED for matrix in orange County. And then again matrix puts me out on the road with this huge asap rocky tour where i met a bunch of people i met shaheem lichmore there um and everybody's still like shaheem's a great guy teaching me stuff like everybody's still teaching me stuff and all i was doing was teching led but they were like hey do you want to run lights for the openers so i was doing that at the same time got through that and uh through the connections i made there uh they sent me out on tour with another one of the asap rappers uh, who's ASAP Ferg, and I was still just teching LED, but he was opening up for g Easy. And so uh, the director that was doing g Easy at the time, he had somewhere else to go, Um was Stephen Brody. Uh, and he's like, hey, I got to go do something else. He's like, do you want to take over this tour? So he gave me the opportunity. I took over that tour, finished it out, and I was just their touring operator. And then when they started the next album cycle, they called me back. Um, but they were like, hey, we're going to have Sooner design this show for us. That's where I met Sooner on g um, okay. And S- Sooner and I got on great. And, like, it just kind of hit it off from there. And I met Matt Geezy with, with her. And um, I met, like, what was at that point in time, all of S-Ray. And um, we just got on great. So it was just I just started doing stuff for Sooner. And I started meeting more people. And it <laughs> just kept snowballing and you know like it's it's crazy because it's just you make one connection with one person and this industry is so small even if we don't all know each other where it's like we're one degree from each other and you know it, it obviously it's a lot of work and you have to really keep up with that work ethic of making your work stand out but it's also going back to the same thing it's like it's also relationships as well um and I'm I'm just fortunate that I got put in that situation and I got to meet Sooner and she started using me to go out as a touring LD for her, um, and which eventually led to me doing, uh, the two-year album cycle with Depeche Mode. And that was probably one of the best tours I've ever been on. Um, I did, I did other tours for Sooner. I did g stuff for Sooner. I did, I've done a ton of stuff, uh, thankfully and, and for her and she's awesome. Um, working with her whole team is awesome. Working with Matt Kesey is awesome, but they taught me a ton as well. And just like watching Sooner at the console, she's she's like a mad scientist. And I learned so much programming-wise from her and how to do things tastefully um, because she just, for lack of a better word, she just fucking shreds it when she gets on the desk. Yeah, <laughs> There's not much more I can say about that.
0: Yeah, you're in good um, company there, for sure.
1: Uh, and then uh, when we went to do the Depeche Mode Tour, uh, Brian Jenkins programmed it with us. So I learned a ton from Brian as well. I mean, I've just been, I've been fortunately, I've been fortunate enough to be, I guess the right phrase would be in the right room with the right people. I look up to a lot of these people and, and everything they've taught me. And I still learn every time I go see one of their shows, I'm like, wow, you did that. Like, that's a great idea. Like I, I, I love going to shows of people that I, that I'd look up to because you you still learn something new every time.
0: Unfortunately, that's what you have to tell a lot of people who ask how you get into the industry. You say, you just have to be in the right room with the right people at the right time. And, and and I'm sorry, I can't be more helpful. That's all you have to do. You just have to keep your eyes open for those opportunities and not turn them down when you see them. I mean, you have to seize them. And it sounds like you've been very fortunate in just seizing every opportunity that you see.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. It's, it's hard because then you have to like learn how to say no to things, which took me a long time because you just want to say yes to everybody. And, you know, I, I had to learn how to like turn things down and be like, okay, I'm okay with turning this down. I'm okay with turning that down. You know, it's, it's cool, but also you learn a lot of things along the way.
0: If anybody ever asked me like, well, where do I learn everything that I need to learn to do what you do? Well, you don't, you learn it while you do what we do, because there, there is no way to learn everything that there is to know to do what we do. Those are very wise words. Uh, speaking of relationships how are you how do you maintain a home relationship and a touring relationship it sounds like you're you're very relationship driven
1: um it took that's another lesson that took me a long time to learn too because i think that i was so married to touring that it was always hard for me to have a relationship at home and it took it took a long way so i I finished depeche mode i want to say it was Early 2018 was when we got off the road. And I had like maybe a week before we started on Drake. And I was in a, I was in a relationship at the time. Things were kind of going south and it ended up ending and, and all that. But through that, I learned sort of more work-life balance. And um, when I started on Drake, I, I decided that I was going to implement that work-life balance. Our schedule on Drake was great. Um, Drake's somebody that will play maybe five shows in one venue and take a couple of days off in between. So you're in a city for a week at a time. So, uh, any city that I went to, I would find my gym. I would have my routine, create my routine every day. But the main idea being relationships is sort of like, okay, I'm able to pay more attention to myself. And if I can pay more attention to myself, I can create better relationships and sort of, you know, making sure that I create the time for those relationships. I have a girlfriend right now. She lives in New York. And especially with COVID going on and everything, there's a lot of separation there. But we make it work. And especially now I'm back, I'm fortunate where I'm, I'm getting a little bit of work trickling in. And we we have the conversation where I'm like, hey, look, things might get busy, I might be real swamped, I might not be able to talk. And especially with the time difference, you know, we might not speak for a couple of days. But it's just communication is key for sure. I think communicating and I started doing therapy on the road back when I was on Drake as well. So every every week, one hour a week, I just take my laptop, go sit somewhere in the arena, like in the three hundred sections, and I would FaceTime with my therapist and we would have an hour of conversation every week and I was able to kind of tell her what I was going through that week and how life on the road was. And it was really great guidance for me to help to learn how to be you know a person at home and be who I needed to be on the road you know what I mean
0: wow that's (laughs) those are some some crucial tools that you just mentioned there you number one you set time aside for a professional therapy session
1: once a week every week I don't know if anybody actually knew that I was on therapy, but I'm sure people saw me in the 300 sections on, on like my laptop with my headphones in and they were probably like, what is he doing? But, uh, yeah, every week, once a week, uh, therapy and, uh, and talking about what, what's happening on the road. I mean, just helped me so much and, and being able to talk about what was happening at home at that time too, because it was sort of chaotic and it helped me be better at my job because I could really focus and I wasn't distracted. And, you know, uh-huh. I, I, I could also help or try to help whatever was happening at home, too, because I was like, all right, well, here's how I have to split my time up. And, you know, I, I know that it's hard because not everybody on the road has the luxury of like carving out an hour every week to go speak to somebody in the arena. But I think that it's really important to at least mention, um, because even if you can make 30 minutes to talk to somebody that you can kind of put your thoughts all out there too. I think it really helps. We're we're also like we're all this one big team on the road. And we're all here for this one big mission and we got to do this thing in a little bit of time and we've got to make sure that it goes off without a hitch and make it look good or make it sound good or whatever it is, but at the end of the day if we're not paying attention to ourselves, then we're not going to be able to progress.
0: So true. Does your therapist kind of get an idea of what it is to be on the road as much as you are, is it? Uh, is your therapist a specialist in entertainment people, or did did you have to kind of teach your therapist what your schedule is like when you started?
1: After I explained to her what it is that I do, she sort of got it. She understands that uh, I work in, in concerts, and she understands that um, you know I'm I, I do what I do every week. She she got it. We would make the time, and I'm happy that she was sort of able to understand this wants to come in and do something you have to just cancel. And she was just very understanding about that and was able to just kind of give me the room to to work with that.
0: That's cool. There are a lot of therapists out there that don't really understand. Uh, When my wife and I first went to therapy, they, our first therapist was like, you're out of town how often? And you think you're going to be able to make this work? (laughs) She's, She's like, there's no way you're not going to make this work, and we're like, well, we are going to make this work, and we need another therapist because if that's the attitude you're coming into, then you're not going to help us in any way. In fact, no thanks for that at all. That's the last thing we need is another hater right now. We're this is our life. This is you know what we chose, and so we we need you to get on board with what we're doing and help us get through it, not not criticize in any way. So yeah it's just probably one of the first things you have to do with a therapist is kind of bring them up to speed on what our lifestyle is like
1: yeah and and it's just like it be positive don't 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 write off the bat say say that it's just it's not for, like, for a any, for anything it's just not cool <laughs> you're making you're yeah. making a, a, a bad situation worse you know
0: so i want to back up just a little bit you are not only experiencing the pandemic you're also cultivating a romantic relationship across the continent during the isolation (laughs) period yeah
1: we met at the beginning of the year and the last thing the two of us ever thought is that we would be seeing each other she works in some sort of facet of entertainment so she understands what it's like and um you know she understands the crazy schedule and all that stuff but we're on FaceTime every single day we are we talk every single day we just make it a point to to talk to each other and just that's all we've got <laughs> so i mean you know i see her i've seen her a couple times and it's been great but you know it, it there we both get tested and all of that and testing's a whole other thing that i've just been like bombarded with but, um, yeah, we both get tested and see each other and then if, you know, she goes back home and then she has to quarantine and, and all that stuff. So there's a, it's a huge process to maintain a, a, a relationship across the country right now, just for the fact that a, we can't see each other and be, you know, there's this pandemic going on.
0: <laughs> so you guys have actually been able to fly to see each other since March.
1: Yeah, I've I've been able to go to see her twice. I had to quarantine, and then she's come out to LA a few times for work. And she's also had to do the same thing. Get we both get tested before we get on the plane and after we ha- after we get off the plane because at the end of the day, we're both we're both exposed to other people from work anyway. So, yeah. uh, you know, we we have to just be very careful.
0: That is that's a lot of steps. You have extra roadblocks. In, in your way to even a normal dating scenario which is already tough now you're yeah. cross-country dating in the pandemic cheers to you man that is that's a you must be one hell of a sweet talker to be doing that much <laughs> talking and maintaining a relationship well good on you
1: i'm just honestly she's she's one of the best people i've ever met um and she's so understanding and super thoughtful so I owe it to her realistically. She, she, she gets it. And, uh, I'm happy that, that she's in my life.
0: Oh, that's nice. So you, you mentioned all the testing. So let's get into that a little bit. Cause you are, you're currently working and I can only imagine that you've done a, a few gigs before where you've actually had to been, you've done the testing. You've had the, the swab shoved up your nose. How is that affecting you?
1: I've had the swab shoved up my nose more times than I could count. Work is definitely not, at full capacity or even half capacity i've had things pop up luckily because i'm in la there's tv shooting and um there's a little bit of need for folks so um we have been trickling back to work but every morning you know and i'll use this one scenario as an example i I covered a show for an operator that uh wasn't available for two weeks over at sony and uh the testing was insane we had to be there, get tested twice or three times a week, depending on what the schedule was. We had a swab and a spit test. Um, and we just, it was very, very, very strict. Everybody's taking this extremely seriously. Um, it's just a lot of testing. And, and if you go to, if you work on one production today and you go to another one tomorrow, you know, you have to get tested again. There's a lab or anything like that. Um, it's, it's a lot and you have to, you know, your day off may be a testing day. Um, that's, you know, I have this weekend, uh, I have a commercial shooting next week and, and I, uh, I got to take my one day off on Sunday to go get tested. So, um, it cuts out of your days off. Um, there's also the conversation happening about people, you know, wanting to get paid for those testing days. So there's, there's like a, a ton of stuff to unpack there, but you know, at the end of the day, when we go in and especially when I was on that show, the one thing that resonated with me the most was every morning. Um, the stage manager would have a safety meeting and he would tell us every morning without fail. He never forgot to tell us that we are the 2%, 2% in this industry working Mm -hmm. right now. And he said, don't Mm -hmm. fuck it up. And that is huge. I mean, I, I, like, I can't, I can't say much else about it. I think that statement just says everything We're we're like having a really tough time in this industry right now. And everything is just upside down and you know, it's heavy to be told that every single day.
0: Yeah, the stakes are very high right now. the The profit margins are down, the expenses are up, the uh, the supply and demand chain is all in a mess right now. We all have to take everything very seriously, and some real tough decisions are, are real tough discussions are being had about, you know, who's going to make what amount of money at what time and how how people are gonna be paid when they're they can't work but they can't not work either. It's the stakes are really high these days.
1: Yeah, I've seen and I've seen some folks that are going over to China to do uh to do some shows right now and they've they've got to pack three weeks worth of whatever they need because they have to go and sit in a hotel room for three weeks. They cannot exit that hotel room for three weeks that's their quarantine time and sure they're getting a little bit of money for it, whatever it may be. But I I think that that's gotta be so mentally taxing to, to have to sit in a room for three weeks. You know, you're, you're locked up with yourself.
0: Yep. Yeah. I'm i I'm four days into my two week quarantine right now. I'm in my own bedroom. Normally I would do this in my studio and you'd get to see all my stuff behind me, but I'm i I'm locked in my bedroom. My wife and my daughter are on the other side of the door. There's nothing I can do. I can't go. I can't hug them. I can't. Kiss, I can't get in my own car. I can't. Oh, wow! Uh, my wife is uh, just handing food. <laughs> this is actually kind of funny. Uh, my wife goes out. She puts the food out for the squirrels, and then she puts my breakfast out on the back porch. And then me and the squirrels both scurry at the same time to go get our food. <laughs> it's weird. It's it's, it's almost humanizing if I if it wasn't so funny yeah but, uh, yeah those are the st- those are the things we do to work nowadays it's just, it's just our new something that we do
1: yep my buddy ryan um who's part of a company out there in canada called dark matter he came out here to do some work and he told me he went home and he's like all right gotta go and do my two-week quarantine now and he's just i'm like how are you what are you gonna do for two weeks he's like i don't know i guess play video games and figure it out until i can go back outside again because apparently you uh you, you do get checked on every day in canada is that correct
0: it's voluntary, but okay. yes, we have an app that uh, we, if, as soon as I I volunteered for it, I, it's just an app that says, hey, you're at home, and they check in on you and just make sure you're not doing anything stupid, and they remind you, like, hey, just rem- remember, pretend that you have it, even if you don't. And even if you go get a test, you still have to wait 14 days just to make sure because, you know, Canada's taken a lot of steps to make sure that there's, that there's no more, there's no second or third wave. And uh, I would hate to be the person that came back from Vegas and brought COVID back to Ontario. I, I, I'm pretty sure it would be all over the news if I did that.
1: Yeah, no, I—that's I, on me.
0: I, I just—I don't—I don't need that press.
1: <laughs> no, I totally understand. I, I wouldn't want to be that person either. I mean, we've just all got to take it seriously, man. Um, the the sooner we all get on the same team of taking it seriously, is the sooner we get back to work. Because even whatever work is trickling in right now it's still very hard it's still very volatile i think that we all just need to really really step it up more than we have been
0: yeah i agree one of the things that's really weird is i used to like taking work out of town because you knew that i could i could just be 100 percent in my job do you like taking jobs in la or do you prefer touring or traveling out of la for work
1: I mean, I'd like to say it's a little bit of both. And that's sort of as I've made the transition from sort of doing a lot less touring to doing a lot more programming and direction stuff here in Los Angeles. I think I've, last year at least, I I had found a healthy balance where I wasn't getting the travel bug all the time because I would come in or I would come into somewhere like Early Bird and uh, pre-vis a show for three weeks, and then we would go on site and do rehearsals for for two weeks. Uh, and rehearsals, as you know, could be anywhere in the world. So I did get a little bit of travel in there. And now, you know, more than anything else, what I my thought process is for the future is, okay, well, even if I am not traveling for work all the time, you know, maybe when we get to that point, I can carve out a little bit more time to actually, go back to the places that I saw on tour that I really want to visit again and see more of. So yeah, I mean, going back to the the main point is just, I, I think for me personally, I like having the balance of doing the bulk of the work here in LA and then kind of flying out, doing the rehearsals and sending the tour out on the road. Um, I like the idea of kind of being home away from home for like maybe a week or two at a time, but I don't know if I'm ready to commit to a, a six month thing right away especially after a, a lot of the good habits that I've cultivated during the quarantine um I'm really happy with how I feel and a lot of the stuff that I've gotten into and old hobbies that I've kind of resurrected and um you know I, I think I I want to pay more attention to the, my, my balance between work and life a little bit more um with that as well so um yeah I mean I think I think it, it just depends on what I'm working on but I definitely do like to do a little bit of travel.
0: Good for you. It is, it is like a little sampler plate, isn't it? We get to see a little bit of all these different cities and then we know where we would want to go on vacation when we have some, some actual time to spend in the towns.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, we, we've been everywhere. We, you know, I don't want to say everywhere, but we've been so many places and there's some places we haven't been to at all. So, you know, we, we can take the time and kind of like go see that or, you know, Maybe say, oh, if somebody offers you a gig somewhere you've not been before. And maybe you forget about what the gig even is. And you're like, cool, I get to go to this place, even though I'm going to be in the arena the whole time. Sign me up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we are almost out of time. But one of the things I want to get to is, I think that it's really important to kind of archive where we're at these days and uh, kind of what our feelings are on the whole pandemic and the COVID-19 thing. So one of the things I've been, I've been enjoying asking people is, Looking back, what would you tell Manny in even as early as March of 2020, pre, pre-shutdown?
1: The, the quickest, best response I can think of is, don't freak out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good I'm, one.
1: I'm, like, I'm so guilty for having like the, the, the first wave quarantine panic where I was just like, I'm never going to work again. And I think a lot of people might still feel that way. And, and that's full, that's totally, totally fine to feel that way because you know, going back to what we said, it's just, we're, we're living in a tough world, but the thing that I would probably tell myself the most is just don't freak out because it's, it's going to get better. It's going to take a long time. And, and also probably what I'd tell myself is put all your money in the stock market.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That'd be very clever. All right. And then going back even further, now that you're fairly established in the industry, what would you tell Manny of 2005?
1: Oof, 2005. I was, uh, was going to make me sound super young, but I was a junior in high school in 2000 or going into my senior year of high school in 2005. Uh, and okay. I had no idea what I wanted to do. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, yeah, I had not a clue what I wanted to do. I actually pretty much dropped out of high school. The only reason that I made it with, out of high school with a diploma was because I ended up having a really cool principal. And he was like, hey, if you take some extra classes, I'll let you walk at graduation. So shout out to him because he gave me a high school diploma. But, you know, wow. I think I would probably and I was at the, at that time I was playing music like lighting or production or anything in this world is the last thing I would have ever thought of but I would just tell myself to to just work as hard as you possibly can and learn as much as you possibly can because it's going to help you when you when you get when you get to a point
0: (laughs) what what did you think you wanted to be back in 2000 did you have any clue
1: um yeah I mean I was in my whole teenage my whole teenage years I was like playing in punk and hardcore bands and i was just like getting to the end of high school and i'm like i don't i'm not gonna do this forever so uh actually quick little tidbit i had listened the last episode of yours that i listened to was with mitch skellinger and he's a good friend of mine but uh mitch and i both had a stint at the apple store Uh, and that's, I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll go work. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'll go work at the Apple store until I get a corporate job at Apple. And that was not for me at all. Um, and I, I like just how I explained how I got into where I am now that like, I could talk to you for another hour of like how I took all of these random roads to get to this point. But it just, it's always been somebody that's been like cool enough to give me an opportunity or give me a shot at something. And that has led me to another place to another jumping off point. And it just always kept snowballing from there. So I'm just thankful for the people that I have around me and the people that I've met. Um, I've learned a lot and, you know, we're all still growing as people, but I'm, I'm just happy that I've met the people that I have along the way and been able to have the opportunities that I've had along the way. Cause I, I I don't think I would have ever found this path at all.
0: I wonder if working at the Apple store is going to be the new flipping burgers. You're like, Oh, <laughs> that's how everybody gets to show. You got to work in the Apple store for at least, you know, at least a year, you know, like, Oh, uh, you haven't done your time unless you've worked in the Apple store.
1: <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was just corporate life, man. It You're working in a retail store, but it's like super corporate life. You're just like told to just sell computers all day long. It's like, sell, sell, sell. Um, uh, which is not who I am. I don't want to sell anything. I, I want to just make cool things and you know, I'm happy that I've, I've I've been given the opportunity to do that. But, um, I tell everybody the same thing that I have these conversations with. It's just like, I want to be able to have the right people around so I can focus on making the cool things and, um, you know, and, and we can all do that together and move forward together.
0: The corporate world doesn't work for me in the in the wearing a uniform I don't want to wear a uniform anymore I don't feel like I'm doing what I want to do if I have to wear a uniform you know yeah, I'll, I, I'll put on the I'll put on the corporate shirt every once in a while with a corporate logo and I'll you know and I'll support but if it has if it's every single day that I come to work I have to wear a, a uniform it doesn't work for me it, it sounds like you're the same.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's draining to me. Um, I have a friend who uh, was helping me out, and she was sort of like my production assistant. And uh, unfortunately, she had to go get another job, and she works in an office now. And she's like, "Hey, when are you going to be busy again?" Because I hate corporate life.
0: <laughs> oh man! Yeah, oh, that's a very true. That's a very true reality for a lot of people. There's a lot of people that have to go put on an apron or a suit or something and they're like yeah that's that's what we get to do now
1: yeah and i'm i'm happy man i'm just happy to have the opportunity to just work right now i honestly it that's that's pretty much it for me i'm thankful to be doing whatever i'm doing because um, otherwise i'd be sitting at home and not knowing where i would be so yeah i'm just thankful
0: cool man that's a great way to end the podcast thank you so much for carving out an hour for me i really appreciate it manny
1: i appreciate you man thanks for taking the time